We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Welcome again to another edition of Healing Stories, and it is my honor and pleasure to be with two of uh, the foremost people that I know who create uh, healing and hope in different communities. And I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves, but uh, John Jetter and Dee Shores. And uh, as we begin, as always, uh, if you take a little time just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Dee Shore. And my claim to fame is I'm John Jetter's mom. <laughs> and you'll see that on Twitter. And for about 40 years, I've worked in healthcare, facilitating healing through uh, cranial treatments for athletes and others with traumatic brain traumas. And uh, homeopathically for about 35, 40 years. Trained privately with Dr. Robert Shore and for cranial work, Dr. Alan Hamill. So, oh, especially after they passed away, I more or less inherited their practices. So, I call it the real family practice because what I do has more to do with listening to their stories. And I learned to be a very good listener. Because telling your story is really what keeps you on the path for healing. Um, today, you know, they're usually with the, what I call the rapid medical meetings with your doctor, PA, nurse practitioner. You have just a set amount of time. But when you do alternative care, often you do refer people out for traditional care and encourage them to stay with their physicians, of course. But what you do offer is the listening. So you might sit with someone for up to two hours, hearing about their healing journey. So I guess you could describe me as a very good listener. Well, there you have it. Yeah, my name is John Jetter. I'm the music director of the Fort Smith Symphony. I've been in Fort Smith now for 22 years as the music director, and I guess one of my main jobs is listening. It's listening to music, and uh, if, if it's true that all music or all excellent music tells a story, then uh, I'm involved in storytelling and listening on a very different way. But of course, music and the arts as a, a healing thing is something that's been around since the very beginning of music and the arts. And there's certainly uh, a lot I think that we can still learn from how uh, the arts can help with healing and balance. And uh, more specifically, for the more scientifically minded, of course, there is uh, an actual field of music therapy. So it's, uh, it's now a lot more than just theory. It's definitely fact. And uh, it's a big challenge that we still, with all of our, <clears throat> excuse me, with all of our technology and research, we still don't know exactly how music works on people. We're having some ideas. Um, I wonder if it really even matters the how, it's, it's the result. It's so. fascinating to sit and think that listening is something that 
develops within the human person? Is it uh, in a way that both of you in your life have developed skills that help us to learn how to listen? Well, I remember first grade for me. I was born in 1941. Ever since first grade, when kids would come to school upset, the other kids would say, talk to Dee at recess, she'll listen. So I was kind of set up for it. And I've heard every kind of hellacious story. And some of the stories were to me, at first, I would, would think, well, how bad? That's really not that bad. You know, you, you didn't get that pair of shoes you wanted or whatever. But as they would talk about it, I would see they were able to say things that they couldn't really say to mom and dad. And then later when I worked with, in the probation department in Orange County in lockup with some pretty serious cases, part of our program was to sit and listen, let them come in and talk it out. And don't give too much input because they know how to work things out, they just haven't verbalized it. Because most people just need to say it. If you speak it, you'll figure it out. It's really true that we're probably suffering from a lack of listening. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's no question about or it. Or we're told, be quiet. Huh. Not now. I'm busy. You know, I'm, I have to leave now. Just go to your room or whatever. When you're in front of an audience and then you have the orchestra with you, can you tell if people, if there is a general environment of listening? Yeah, I think so. And obviously I have my, you know, back towards them, but you can, you can get a really good sense, I think. Or if I, and how do you do that? And I don't know, how, how are the specifics? How is that possible? I mean, I guess you just have all that energy going on in the room. You've got, you know, the orchestra working, performing, and the audience taking it all in. So I think if it's, uh, if it's, if it's a good music or a good, uh, good concert and people are really taking it in, I mean, that's a great uh, form of, of healthy listening. And it doesn't just have to be you know, orchestra music. It could be you know, a lot of different types of music. I think as long as the intentions there are good. Uh, when they're not, <clears throat> uh, maybe if the uh, performance is maybe people aren't as into it or um, if it's a, I don't know, maybe some performers who are looking at this as, oh, this is, this is my paid gig, you know, I'm just going to get through it. Um, you know, th those are probably the lesser experiences for everyone. And that would make sense. It's like if you're listening to some, I guess it would be like if you're listening, if someone wants to tell you a story, you can tell when someone's really listening and when they're not. And uh, I guess if you think about it, if you're, if you're telling someone a story and they, they're, the other person's sincerely not interested, think about how bad that makes you feel. Mm -hmm. So obviously the, uh, the, the need to be listened to is something I think we all really need. It's a really important. And we're really struggling in health care because we're trying to say, well, you could tell your story in 15 minutes. And how does one develop a system of healing that engages these components, as you say, that even are on the playground or in the symphony hall that we know generates a feeling that I'm heard. And right. isn't it true that our culture is really crying out to be heard? And, and how do we foster that in healthcare, in the arts, and in 
our communities so that uh, peace is heard. Yeah. I think a good point that's not really talked about much would be the work of a f young physicist, William Brown, hmm. and Greg Braden, who lectures extensively. And the point of William Brown, which makes it so fascinating when you think about your education, perhaps it's best to flip a few classes in primary grades because William Brown talks about the proton-neutron connection in all of us. So his point is that we're all made up of this electrical energy and these protons want to communicate and tell their stories, right? But we don't look at this, what I call the new physics, because we're too busy trying to figure out in a sociological, psychological way how we're communicating. His point is that if we would understand the connection and that we are all part of each other, that when someone starts telling their story, you really, you might notice this. Sometimes people want to interrupt and say, well, you know, that happened to me. Mm -hmm. Because part of your brain is remembering that you've been through something similar. And interestingly, you don't, unless you're in, say, a, a care program like AA or NA, you don't really discuss about how these systems have helped you. Um, you don't try to solve the problem, but you end up doing it together when you connect. So it's really all about connection. And, you know, let's talk about the last time any healthcare professional really had a discussion like that. They don't. We don't think about our, the physics of our bodies and our brains. So I highly recommend the work of William Brown, who disproved many theories in physics. So he's one of my favorites. Well, and we know that the physics of energy is clearly a point that sometimes isn't always thought about. Uh, what's, the what's the energy? What's the spirit you bring <clears throat> to the room? Do you bring one of presence? Do you bring one of humor? Uh, is your attitude just so bent over that it's impossible to heal. That's one thing that I'm very interested in is, is there a presence that you can work on so that when you come into that room, I imagine both of you have thought about that. I mean, in, in public performances and being with your clients, are there things that people do to get ready to be in that moment to provide some healing to people? You almost have to get out of yourself, right? Huh. You forget the drive to the office or and you become a person full of empathy. Huh. Sorry, our dogs. You have our dogs, dogs included. Your okay. dog, yeah, your dogs want to okay. have a part in it. Yeah, I, well, yeah. Well, if you, I, probably those people who uh, come into the room, who you, you, know, you know they're in the room, not necessarily that they're these brilliant personalities that take over the room, <clears throat> but the ones that are bringing something uh, positive in a room, you know, I don't know how much I don't think they prep that going into the room. I think those are the people who just are, the, those are the balanced folks who just happen to have that energy when they come into the room. So that's going to be a whole 
mind-body thing that you'd have to work on from the beginning. And one thing we mentioned is, I think most importantly, is all this has to start with kids. Huh. And, and this whole idea of nowadays, one of the things that we are seeing more and more that's, a, I think, a positive scientific information is this emphasis on early childhood development, uh -huh. which, and we've talked about Suzuki mm -hmm. uh, music, which is uh, what my wife Karen does. Um, it's funny, in talking about listening and telling stories, you know, Suzuki is based on listening. It even initially takes the reading of music out of the equation, so you are listening. Mm -hmm. And Suzuki kids are great listeners when they grow up and, uh, uh, you know, they, they've been so attuned to just listening. So this has got to start at the earliest ages. And I think it's starting to change with younger families, but this idea of, oh, he, he's a kid, she's a kid. You know, you kind of, you know, you know they, they can eat. It's just hand them, a, hand them some junk food. They'll, they'll eat it. I'll be quiet. You know, mm. just if, if anything, uh, this, the opposite really needs to be true at these really young ages. I think that's the key. You were just talking about being in first grade, right? Yeah. Early childhood development mm -hmm. is the key. Right. Not sitting in front of a TV so much. You know, if you want to watch a film, you should discuss the characters. You know, what, what can you relate with the hero? Or how about the downtrodden person? But instead, it's more of an entertaining stick your kid in front of the TV sort of thing. Or you'll have a family night, a lot of violence in kids' films, actually. Or now, happening more and more, is family nights. And we've been guilty of it before, too. But even with young kids, family night is they're all on a, their own device. Mm -hmm. And they're all watching their own tailor-made entertainment. And um, it's like anything else, you know, that, that's sort of cool, but it has, it, it, there's definitely uh, drawbacks, mm -hmm. you know, and as we move forward in, uh, I think in, in like in healthcare with all these great advances, uh, in anything, there's always a lot of, of down, you know, downside to things in these new improvements that people need. And what we're talking about with listening, how far does that go back in healthcare, like to the caveman era, you know? Uh -huh. So I think there are always these things that are just so important that need to stay involved in, you know, life and healthcare and don't put it aside because it's uh, maybe not as scientific or the compliance person might have a, a hard time with it, you know? I mean, well, I understand. I, I, I understand totally. But, you know, part of health, part of health is some stuff that you don't really, as long as you get the results and it's, and it's a positive thing, sure, you can research it out, but... You know, don't get so hung up and how does it work? We need to know that, but you know, don't if something's working and maybe we don't totally understand how, as long as it's not hurting, why can't we include that? Uh -huh. And I'm struck too that here, uh, mother and son, and we're talking about early childhood development and recognizing your lives have lived and you've gone through different journeys and different phases. And I would imagine that there are moments of raising uh, John and John and relating to you like there there was a listening that was taking place um, and you had talked with me even about the connectivity of uh, moms and sons and that's a component that I'm continuing to study and look at you know what does that do in terms of the healer and the person who's forming them and, and how that works because I think that would be very fascinating for some of ours 
who are out there listening um, and thinking about when you have a paper? Well, just a bit of notes. Okay. About the differences in mothers and dads. Uh huh. And I think it's true that since you carry your child, usually, obviously, unless you've adopted, that there's a bond that forms. And, you know, as a mom, you listen to the baby. Mm. And you talk to the baby, right? Didn't you play music for Nicole before she was born? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. You have that bond, whereas a father has to build a relationship mm -hmm. after the child's born. And uh, I, I love the part about the fetal DNA, and I had never thought about this, I was just doing some re research, uh, that there is this bond that your DNA has with your brain as a mom, that allows the communication or the listening to the mom's immune system to say, hey, this is part of you, this child, don't reject. Mm. And I never really mm. thought about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would say basically you have a tight emotional connection. And, um, you know, your, your genetics from your mom determines how intelligent you are. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the father makes no difference. Huh. Sorry, dads. Yeah, there you go. That's, We're the done. That's the way it is. That's Just right. Make sure you, you know, <laughs> go to work. Right. Come That's back, right. You yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, our, it, there is a consciousness in our world, I feel, that is lacking some of this feminine um, mother perspective, certainly in politics right now. You think? A titch. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to have to edit too much. No, no, okay. But I mean, you know, for me, I'm wondering, can this, what you're talking about here, D, be inserted into healthcare in a way to understand that there is a strong connection of how people deal with their moms and how they come, to, even in my own life, like that was something as we were sitting and talking the other day that I was really cognizant of um, and how healing can really be happening in these familial systems. I mean, you talked about AA and NA before and in those contexts, and there's a lot of work to be done in regards to uh, how systems operate. Um, but from the standpoint of our culture and our world, how do we reinfuse some of the, the feminine, some of the, the ways that moms are, are just so nurturing in some regards. And we know people don't have good experiences too, but I just think that there, there's something here in terms of healing that I think we're, we're poor in. And right sometimes, now. you know, the child, say an autistic child, there's a real problem in bonding. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the birthing classes and uh, yoga and baby classes uh -huh. with mom, yeah, baby and me. Those are cool ideas. Um, I think it's something that needs to be taught in the home before it's taught in school. So right. we're lacking sometimes there. Let's face it, both parents often work now. Uh -huh. So that leaves you with childcare, which I think could be better. You know? uh -huh. And again, having one-on-one -on -one time and listening, it's, it's, to me, it's 
the subject is that you have to get outside your environment, your busy, busy life, and think about you know, what does this baby require now? And um, in Dr. Jonas's book, he talks about heart-to-heart -heart connection, like you and I talked about many years ago, about holding the baby's chest on your left side, you know, whether you're mom or dad. But it's almost our culture is so different from, say, I used to travel to Austria and Switzerland where the family unit, especially for the young kids, is so tight with at least one parent always with them. And we don't always have that. Now, your family's fortunate. Your kids can be with your wife. Um, but, you know, a lot of families, they just don't have it. Or a single-parent family. It's difficult. I completely forgot we had that conversation when we were trying to help uh, the baby stop crying. And it was funny when we were driving here, I said, remember this uh, exit alley? This is as far as we would get it. And when Simon would finally stop crying, when we would put him in the car and we were it's coming over the Arkansas River. <clears throat> okay. and, and there is something that we probably return to in a need for that comfort in our own adult lives or in, in ways that stress and things like that. We're trying to figure out how do we calm in the midst of our own crying out that is probably pretty subconscious. And, and maybe music is is a healing, that's where I think music kind of does well, yeah, come. certainly. In any kind of arts immersion, uh, there's a lot of more of it now for really young kids and having, you know, music at home. Again, it's all developing listening. I think that's something that would at least create a lot more balance. And that's easy to do, especially nowadays. Now you don't even have to buy music, really. You can just, uh, uh, you know, listen to some things on YouTube. There's even, we've talked with them on some of our other projects, you know, there's, you could, hit three hours of, you know, soothing uh, meditative music or whatever. And um, we, we certainly know all the results. And it's something that any and everyone should be able to do, provided that, you know, as a parent home, provided people aren't going crazy work projects and, you know, just the insanity of getting through the day. There has to probably be some reevaluation of that, uh -huh. you know. Yeah, it does bring up the point of how do you spend your time? <clears throat> and is that a place that, and for both of you, how do you set up your your day? How do you set up your, your time? I mean, is that something you're really conscious of, uh, of going through the day and saying, I'm gonna have this amount of time for this, or just, I would imagine you have to renew yourselves constantly. Uh, well, uh, I'm, I have a lot to, as you know, my job, and especially my particular situation, also having a, a substantial additional roles being music director, there I would say it's soft planning. I should I should get these things done today, and uh, at least if I get these four things done, the other three can wait till tomorrow. Um, so it's a really it's a very busy uh, agenda, but at least there's flexibility. And um, I know your work schedule, <clears throat> at least in the past, was I've seen that calendar. That's like uh, every hour around thirty minutes. Um, and so, yeah, there certainly is that soft planning. And then as you maybe get closer to your performance or something, it's uh, uh, more specific. Uh, the nice thing about at least this job is, uh, you know, I'm essentially working at home or going to meetings. But it's a lot of, and there's always been time for our daughter, I think, have always been pretty much available to mm -hmm. do things. 
which is one of the reasons, one of the best things about the job. Um, and a, a lot of people in my position have a, an orchestra in a smaller community. Actually, most of the guys I know and, and uh, who do this sort of thing, they have a couple of orchestras and some, uh, some multiple towns. And to me, that's where I'm at now allows there to be family time or just time to not be worried about some upcoming thing. Just mm -hmm. take time to be, you know, I have other interests. Uh, so it's nice to be able to spend time on that, you know. Sure, as we're sitting in this space that's of, right. of, that's of right. these planes. I mean, how did, th yeah. this is, I mean, a place it seems that you would be renewing in here, right? Yeah, in an odd way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's around like, you know, World War II stuff and there's planes blowing up and everything, but it's a nice, it's a nice uh, uh, antidote to doing arts thing, yeah, actually. And it's been, it's a real interest of mine. So it always has been, I don't know why, ever since I was uh, tiny. Um, but, um, and it's interesting to read about people who've, like the, like the thing about the wars is um, just the incredible amount of things that people go through. You read about like maybe a, a Medal of Honor winner and you just think, what, you know, what, you know, what, I, you know, what would I have done or what would the average person done in a situation like this? It's just incredible. And um, I've talked about it and you give talks all over and give talks to young people. And uh, um, I think, I wouldn't say young people are uh, getting lazier and lazier, but it sure seems like there's less of, a, less of an effort being done in a lot of areas. And for us nowadays, you know, the big horror is, oh, oh my, I don't have cell phone reception, mm -hmm. you know, or, oh, I can't, you know, my, 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 this thing on YouTube is not. And then if you read about something, some things in the past or what people went through in, you know, Vietnam or, you know, uh, although it's a grim situation, it sure does put things into perspective mm -hmm. or reading any sort of history, uh, just, you know, can you imagine living during the Civil War or something? Oh, you know, it's incredible. Have you found that in music and in your ability to create that there are uh, tones and rhythms and themes that come out based upon um, what people are going through? I'm just thinking of the new uh, release of the Price album that oh, she's, yeah. she yeah. is uh, exhibiting a, a context of her life. And are you able to then notice i mean i imagine you notice that you're you're conducting yeah, some ways so, that well to a certain extent yeah the, you know there there's some pieces where uh you find out that so-and-so was really depressed when mm. he or she was writing this piece and that comes through and then other times you know great example someone like tchaikovsky you know he wrote this piece before he you know committed suicide and it's very dark and grim and all that but then there's other pieces like the Nutcracker or his Fourth Symphony, which is really high energy. And he was, he was, th those were really low points in his life. So I think if you're a great composer, um, you can write for whatever you need to, no matter what your mindset was. However, yes, there's certain, like he, he's a composer where no matter how happy the music is, there's always this sort of dark element. Mm -hmm in the music, which is always kind of his personality. Or Beethoven, there's always this overtly, I mean, I hate to say it, but this overtly arrogant, you know, listen to me, you know, ah. I'm, I'm making a point in the most, you know, vehement way possible, you know, and, and this is why my music's special. And it's, you know, that, and that's what makes music um, so great, is there's always this human element to it. Um, and yes, it can, 
you know, yes, it's, there's, there's a lot of spirituality to it, but it's all man-made. So there's, it's a great matching of something that's spiritual, but there's also this human element to it. And those human elements are for me personally, what makes the music most interesting. I like the fact that, you know, Beethoven's not perfect. So even as a, you know, as far as a conductor, I actually, this is getting way maybe off I the like subject, it. but I like to bring out that in the music. Huh. You know, this is not, you know, this could have been done in my opinion better so instead of trying to maybe correct it, let's, if anything, let's try to show that, that wart, you know, uh, let's try to, uh, and to me, that's what makes it so special. It's like, it's like you get this whole element of there's the spirituality of people sort of trying to grasp for it, you know? Huh. And, um, so you've got it. And then you've also got the struggle of people trying to grasp for it because the people we've been doing that since the beginning of time, just trying to find out where we're, where we're supposed to be. What are we doing here? You know, what's it's, it boils down to the basic question, right? It is. And isn't it powerful then to recognize that you're highlighting not always the trophies, but the places of thorns or the pains? Exactly. And that those are essentially the pieces of the story worth finding a crescendo for. Right. Or, I mean, instead of just this culture, it seems, that's now just appease me or ease me and yeah. sedate me. Right. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. in a way, you're drawing out something that I think probably is why people sit in a seat and yeah. listen to an ensemble is because finally I can relate, not just to put me to sleep, but, but to let me know right. what my story is. Right. And that maybe that story can heal me, which I think, Dia, is something you're teaching me, you know, in terms of listening. And I think a good thing, too, to mention is that, yeah, the listening needs to be quality listening, which sounds like, you know, we're getting into something that's, you know, elitist or something. No, but, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot, in the case of great music, a lot of people listen to it, but certainly the general public is more interested in the latest pop music, you know, and that's a subject for another day. But um, this idea of listening to music that's rich, really listening to stories that are rich. You know, we all, we we're, we're, so many of us really want to go and see the next, you know, Marvel motion picture. Oh, you know, instead of uh, uh, the Merchant Ivory films that actually have a lot more to them in a lot of ways. Uh -huh. And it's just, a, that's a big cultural challenge. Uh -huh. Do you think that when there was cultures that just sat and let each other tell their stories that they were healthier? Right. And uh, I had a client one time who was, you may have heard this expression, keeper of the cradle. Have you heard it? Uh -huh. And um, she was an Anglo woman. She wasn't part of the nation, but somehow she got this gig and she had this little like basket. And I said, I haven't heard of this. She said, I listen to women's stories. And they're not very nice stories. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a healer, I was thinking, well, how does she help them, you know, come out the other side? I said, so then do you advise them? She said, oh, no. Because in telling the story, and then I put the story in the cradle, metaphorically. And she said, I keep a lot of stories. And she said, the reason I've come to see you is I'm overloaded with stories. Huh. I've heard every horrible story of these uh, people from the American nation, American Indian nations. Mm. And uh, she was a healer. Mm. And she said that she 
ended up not knowing really what to do with the information. I said, well, just handing it off to you, and then you have to give it up. You know, I know it's in the cradle, so make that you're giving up. Huh. Because you don't have to solve it. It's already solved. It's a story that, it's like looking at films about the World War One and Two. The story's been told. So now we, we keep telling it for healing. I had a client who's a cantor rabbi, and his entire family, they were all in the camp. Mm. And he said the way we survive is we just kept keep telling the story. That, that sense of memory mm -hmm. can be quite healing if it's done in a way that you get to really tell the truth right. of what the memory is. Yeah, and, and have your feelings about it and not be told, I mean, let's face it, that era, you can't say to them, oh, well, it's, it's over and done, it's, it's all finished now. That's not, you can't really comment that way. Uh-huh, yeah. That's their heritage. Like I've heard in Kansas City, there's a, an art at one of the galleries. They've located a lot of art that during the war was taken from the Jews because they weren't allowed to possess property. And there's an art show going on now in Kansas City with all of these reclaimed pieces of art. Huh. So how healing if families can go there. I thought the other day, what if a family goes there and goes, that was my great-grandpa's... You Could know, they grandma. claim that? Yeah. I, I guess you have to have some kind of you know, documentation that that was in your family because a lot of that art was returned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's fascinating that you're uh, aware that people are coming and needing to let go of the stories that they continue to hold. Uh, and how does a physician, a nurse, um, a practitioner... A, a conductor not take every story and keep it but to let it go and I mean I'm thinking of Simon singing that let it go song from Frozen as we're you know coming all around and it's this and I'll be thinking of it tomorrow and just how do people learn how to let go well number one it's not my story hmm. I'm there to be the sounding board and to listen and be empathetic. I don't have a solution because really the person telling the story will some at some point in their life get to the, it will resolve on its own. Well, so much of psychiatry is that way, you know, that they're not gonna say, well, you should do this and that. That's mm -hmm. a big part of it. It's just so there's even your, that there's your, there's your scientific documentation for telling your story you know that that's a whole that whole field of study sort of based on that uh -huh. yeah. and probably our deficiency right now is the time to allow people to tell yep. their story yep and it i mean to think of a reality that would allow time to tell your story that seems to me to be where healthcare needs to be right right and i'm not sure we're preparing a system to do that. There's a bifurcation and a, a clear cutting of what moment might be a way to heal you when what Dr. Jonas says and is how healing works is that 80% is spent outside of that 
encounter. Uh, and so the telling of the story of the 80% seems to be where we need to be spending more time of developing people's freedom and time and not fill that all up so that uh, you can't be who you are in an authentic way to tell your story. That's correct. Well, I think that at our uh, moment, we come to see if anyone's listening, which I hope they are, that the component of listening is what to be mindful of. And you're both uh, people who have taught me how to listen. And I'm really grateful for that. Well, thank you for letting us uh, talk for a little bit and yeah, hope people listen. And uh, good luck with all your work in that area. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. We are grateful for you. Uh, Thank you. And we will always listen to you. That's good, uh, because I have a couple ideas. (laughs) Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories. (laughs) 